Welcome to So Tell Me More, a podcast where you can join Prabnur and Navia, two psychotherapy students, as they dive into various topics through a psychotherapy lens. This podcast will get you thinking and reflecting on all things mental health, ranging from self-care to learning more about what exactly cognitive behavior therapy is. We hope you stick around. We are very excited to introduce our guest speaker today. So in today's episode, we are going to sit down and chat with Murnal, who is a business analyst by day, writer, and former journalist. She's also a self-described wellness aficionado, and we are so excited to have her share a bit more about her experiences with mental health and also her journey onto writing Saya Unveiled, South Asian Mental Health Spotlighted, which shares 11 true stories of second-generation individuals who are of Indian descent, Pakistani descent, Bangladeshi descent, and how they navigate mental health in the West, so in the U.S., U.K., and also Canada. So she explores different topics, including identity, culture, socialization, academia, love, loss, and trauma. And each of these unique stories unveils a different part or a shadow, Saya, of mental health. So each vignette in the book itself has part one and two where interviewees' origins and how they got into where they are today are shared. So I'll throw it back to you, Mernal, and want to just say a big welcome and thank you so much for joining us in today's episode. Thank you very much for having me. And we are really excited to hear more about your journey and hear more about your book itself. Sure. So my book, you basically just said it, is a work of nonfiction, and it is written in third person where I interview 11 people, South Asian second generation immigrants, and kind of tell their mental health stories in terms of, you know, their background and their origins, how their mental health journey began, and how they navigated that, and how they got to where they are today. So this started because I've always had a fascination with psychology and the human brain since I was in high school and took my first psychology class. I think the reason being because I always felt like something in the DSM-5 could describe why I am the way I am and some of the struggles that I have. And I have benefited off of cognitive behavioral therapy in college, as well as a few years later with principles that I still carry with me till this day. And I have benefited off of both Eastern and Western medicine too in my wellness journey. Yeah, so it sounds like you have quite an extensive experience with mental health, whether it's as a mental health service user or also just as someone who wants to learn more about the topic and explore these backgrounds of 11 different people. I think that's such an interesting perspective that you've taken. Similar to your journalism background, it sounds like really getting a sense of what these people's experiences have been and how they've navigated the mental health system with their own concerns and their own struggles. So yeah, I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about each of their journeys. The book very much takes on a journalistic approach in that it's written in third person, but it also features direct quotes. Anyone who knows my writing style would know that fluff writing is difficult for me. So I tried to improve upon that before writing the book, but I also tried to stay authentic to my true writing style and try to kind of write in a way that might be beneficial and, you know, direct for someone who either A, may not be a native English speaker or B, wants to gain information about mental health while also connecting with the stories themselves. Yeah, I think that's great that you talk about the fluff writing and especially in a field like mental health and psychotherapy, psychology, whatever it might be. 
there's quite a bit of jargon and quite a bit of like technical terms that can be used and even as students we're starting to learn about how difficult it can be for people who aren't in the field and don't have that background to actually understand what we're talking about a lot of the time so i love that you've taken that approach that someone maybe who isn't a native english speaker or someone who doesn't have all that extensive experience with mental health can still understand follow along and get something out of that story i think that's really thoughtful of you to incorporate And I'm wondering, Renault, what encouraged you to write the book or did you have any inspirations that really pushed you forward to say, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to sit down and write this out? So as a former journalist, I have written for two minority owned publications in my city. I live in Milwaukee, which is the most segregated city in our country. And throughout my freelance journalism career, I have covered mental health awareness month events in the black and Latino community. And I noticed that there's little talk about Asian communities and overcoming mental health stigma in the Asian community. And It was never necessarily one of my hard goals to write a book, but during quarantine, I took a free memoir writing course, which is where I learned to kind of improve upon my writing style and make it sound not so journalistic. And the instructor taught us about the art of self-publishing. And then that's when I was introduced to Amazon Kindle and self-publishing on that. And I decided I wanted to write a book and I narrowed down a list of topics. I thought that this South Asian mental health makes the best use of both my journalism background, as well as my interest in the intersectionality in the South Asian diaspora and mental health, because A, I have a mental health journey and I also didn't know a lot of South Asians growing up that had a mental health journey. That's amazing. I think it's really interesting to see how our past experiences or what we've been doing, even in, I love how you mentioned quarantine. I was like, well, what do I do? Because I know everyone's had a different quarantine journey, but to take a course and then say, you know what, I'm going to share some of what I've learned from my past with the public is such a nice way to see what you did do with that time that you had. And we're all very lucky to have that book to read and get to experience other people's journeys with mental health, especially within the South Asian community, because it is something that I personally feel that isn't talked about a lot. There is that stigma that is definitely still there. And because of that, it feels like hushed down and no one really shares what they've gone through. And sometimes it's just nice to hear that you're not alone in it. And there are other people that can really understand what you're going through. With that, I'm wondering, were there any challenges that came up as you were writing the book or as you were thinking about even starting to write something like this? So I would say that in general, my biggest difficulty is getting started on a project. But once I start, I can't stop. So basically, I wanted to talk to half men and half women in the book. And I would say that one of the biggest hindrances in all this was finding men that were interested in telling their stories. What I did is I looked up South Asian mental health organizations and I contacted as many as I could and said to them, hey, I'm writing this book. I was wondering if you could put out submission calls for me for any volunteers, followers, users of your services that may want to share their story. They're more than welcome to alter their name to protect their privacy if they want to. Mm -hmm. And literally for the longest time, only females were responding. I think after lots of digging, I finally found two men that were willing to talk. So I went ahead and told their stories anyway, just because, you know, I may have a reader with like a son or something that may benefit from reading them. And then I decided maybe book number two could be about men's mental health. I think that that struggle right there shows what people need to be doing more research on. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's such a great point, Mernal, just hearing about that challenge with seeking out the balance of female representation as well as male. And that's something that we see a lot even in the research and in the data, right? Like in terms of mental health care users, it is for most disorders pretty skewed towards women who are actually seeking out these services, seeking out support and actually sharing their experiences. So it makes a lot of sense that you did have that trouble. But I think even those two stories from the men would be so valuable for anyone who's reading it and this understanding that it's not just females. We might have to do some digging. We might have to push people a little bit more when it comes to men sharing these experiences, but they're there and they're still experiencing it. And yeah, I'm sure those two stories would be very valuable for people who are reading them right and then hopefully book number two I am eventually able to find some men willing to tell their stories if and when there is a book number two I just released this book in May so it's going to be a while yeah like just getting the process started and getting your name out there and then maybe because of that like more men would be willing to reach out and be a part of this project yeah I think that would be awesome And can you tell us a little bit about your own personal journey into the area of mental health? So you talked about taking a course in high school. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process, what that was like for you? I just took the course in high school because I needed the credit, but then I found myself being very fascinated about how the human brain and how it works. And the reason being because growing up, I had a lot of both academic as well as social emotional learning difficulties that were never professionally treated. I think the reason is because A, I was a female, I was shy and quiet rather than like a disruptor to the class, which is why teachers never called it out and went to my family and said, you should seek professional help for her. And then also because my family, it never crossed their mind to seek professional help either. And so one day, coincidentally, when I was a college girl, I was walking in the student union, someone at a little table said, would you like to take a free depression screening? And I said, yes, without knowing what I was getting myself into. And I went ahead and took it. And they were like, so you have a lot of high markers for anxiety and social anxiety in particular. Would you like to work with one of our student clinicians for just $5 a session? And again, I said, yes, without knowing what I was getting myself into. And long story short, from there, it took off coming into the sessions. My markers for anxiety were considered severe and exiting. They were considered mild to moderate in just a year. Yeah, that's quite a journey. It's very unique to hear how you even got into mental health services and seeking treatment because... I know it's quite hard sometimes, even in a college or university environment, to find those services. And it sounds like they almost found you in a sense. Like this person approached you, you did the screener and kind of went in for it without necessarily knowing what it'll entail. But I'm I'm glad to hear that progression, that it worked for you, it sounds like, and it was helpful. Yes, it did. And I think that before I became an adult, I just never saw myself getting therapy because the lack of education on my end that it's more for people who are struggling severely. I didn't feel comfortable asking my family and no one recommended it to me. But yes, like you said, they found me and I went for it and it helped me. And then basically at the end of those therapy sessions, my social skills and my ability to initiate contact with others did improve immensely. And I found myself having more satisfaction in my interpersonal life. However, after college, I struggled a little bit in the working world, so to speak. And then I went back to therapy in my mid-20s. And then we continued to do more work. And that particular therapist made a suggestion that I might also be on the autistic spectrum. 
Okay, definitely an unexpected journey, I'd say, one that you may not have started out on, but it found you and you were able to learn a lot more about yourself and also get some of that, you know, support or help that can be helpful in navigating some of the challenges that we see on a day-to-day basis. So I'm glad that you were able to explore it through that manner for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it really taught me a lot about how the fact that mental health is indeed a spectrum and that Mm -hmm. no person's mental health should be swept under the rug just because they're not a danger to themselves or others, so to speak. Then that gave me the courage to advocate for myself and, and my needs as well, rather than allow people to see me as a person who just needs to try a little harder type of thing. Yeah, for sure. I think you bring up really great misconceptions, actually, that people have about mental health services, starting off with you have to be at a severe end of the spectrum, you have to be really a danger to yourself, a danger to others, like just all of those extreme symptoms that we associate with mental health. And so this idea that anyone who's having any sort of struggle can really seek out mental health support, right? Like it's not limited to particular people, but it tends to seem like that way. And I think especially with the South Asian background, it's harder to have these conversations and to bring up this idea that I need some external support, at least in my experience. Like, I think it's just a little bit trickier to to have that conversation without it seeming like a really extreme form of mental health concerns. Or an obvious form, a more obvious or classic form of neurodivergence. Yeah. That's something that runs in my family, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this idea that some things can just be a little bit less overt and and obvious for people, but they're still there, they're still very real, and they're still worthy of seeking support for. And I think that's so amazing that you bring that up, Renal, because I think in doing not only your own journey and going through your own journey of mental health, you were able to share your experiences and also highlight other individuals' experiences through your book. And I'm just wondering, with that, what have you learned about mental health through that process of writing and also interviewing various individuals from very diverse backgrounds? I think that my knowledge of intersectionality has expanded immensely. I think that I know a bit more about things like why South Asians may be more hesitant to seek out professional help due to things such as lack of culturally competent providers and providers that don't understand why their families are the way they are and why they have the beliefs that they have can be limiting to seeking help in addition to the obvious things like being taught that people with mental health disorders are crazy or just need to try a little harder or are weak. And furthermore, I think that I learned a little bit about rather than just the South Asian intersectionality, I also got to learn a little bit more about the spiritual and religious aspect of it too. So how being South Asian, being Muslim, and being second generation can play into your mental health, for example, Muslim, Hindu, Sikh. Absolutely. When you take into account all of those factors, it really shapes someone's experience and their understanding of mental health. And this can start at a very young age. It sounds like you've noticed as well, like the own family and their values and the way that the parents are raised, as well as then how the kids are raised. Like it's quite an intergenerational process and all of these effects can roll over quite a lot. Yep. And then I would pick up on themes too, such as mind-body connection when it comes to mental health. So having things like GI disorders and stuff like that, that come along with your mental health disorders due to the stress that's not being treated. And mind-body is something that I've experienced as well. 
Yeah, there's such a big component of how mental health or our mental well-being has a physical component as well, where it is impacting one another. It can go both ways. So not only can our mental well-being impact our physical health, but even our physical health can impact our mental well-being. So noticing these themes and seeing how different people react or are experiencing them is a great thing to even reflect on for any one individual. And with that, Mernal, I'm wondering if there's any one story or a couple stories from your book that you'd like to share and maybe what you learned from them or through that process of sharing their story. So I will say that not everyone in my book has a diagnosis on the record, which I think is important to state because Mm -hmm. that further goes along to show how mental health is a spectrum and how you don't have to meet the criteria for a certain disorder in order to seek help for your struggles and that therapy is a tool for self-improvement or to process a trauma rather than just to look at it from a disorder perspective. So there's one person in my book who's divorced single parent. She's never had a day of therapy or medication or hospitalization, any of that in her life. But Mm -hmm. she detailed her experience of wanting to take her life due to toxic marriage dynamics that she lived under for several years. So I thought that that was interesting because it showed that getting out of a marriage can have a positive byproduct to it and how she was able to find and reinvent herself again without professional services. But then on the other hand, there will be stories in the book where people did require professional help in order to process like a trauma, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I think it just shows how everyone's journey is different and the way that you cope with trauma, the way that you cope with just difficult life situations generally, it depends from individual to individual. So for some, therapy can be really helpful. And for others, therapy actually isn't a very helpful route for them to take. And that's totally okay. It's really a process of learning about yourself and learning how you can cope in the future. Same principle applies to medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like some people don't react to medicine. Some people react really well to a combination of medication and therapies. Yep. And then I'll say there's one Canadian story since you're based in Canada. It's with the winner of the 2020 Canadian Alliance of Mental Illness Awards. It's a Sikh Punjabi female who details her journey with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and who talks about, you know, the stigma in her community and how she was basically not understood by anybody at all in her family for the longest time ever. But then over time, she was able to educate her family to be able to understand her better and thereby help her with her recovery and have the courage to go public with her story. Yeah, I'm really in awe of the absolute diversity in terms of the individuals and their stories that you're able to include in the book. There's such a big range and I love that you mentioned that maybe not all of these individuals had these diagnosed disorders or illnesses and that's so good to highlight because you don't need to have any one diagnosis to seek support. It looks different for everyone and anyone can really reach out for support in any manner that they think that they need. So hearing that range I think is so helpful for any kind of a reader and wherever you are on that spectrum for mental health I feel like there's something in your book that they can relate to right and you'll see that a lot of the stories have very common themes that keep repeating but also distinguishing demographics per person that makes them unique Mm -hmm. such as you know where they're from their religion gender age group that kind of stuff 
So Bernal, you've told us quite a bit about the content of your book, and I know Prabner and I are very excited to read into it and explore that. But I'm also wondering, what has the feedback been from people that have read your book, whether it's friends and family or just even strangers that have maybe reached out to you and expressed what this book meant to them? So I would say that the biggest thing that stood out is the fact that I never got the sense that my parents or older family members wanted to have anything to do with mental health, yet my parents told several extended family members and friends in their age group about the book, and a lot of them were interested, which was surprising to me. So my dad told as many people as he could right away. My mom was hesitant just because she didn't know if people would be interested. She tried a few. They were interested. So they kept spreading the word almost as though it was their (laughs) own book. And I think that I've gotten feedback from these people that, you know, they never realized how much pressure that immigrant children go through when it comes to growing up in the United States. So they feel more educated in that manner and that they learn things about the signs and symptoms of mental illness more than they used to before. And one of them did say that it seems as though my book takes this approach of what was the challenge, how was it resolved type of format. And I'll definitely agree with that, even though I will acknowledge that mental health isn't always fixable, quote unquote. That's amazing that you were able to get that outreach. And I think that's something that even Navi and I were thinking about with the podcast when we were starting it. We're like, I don't know who really wants to listen to it. And should we share it with people? Because we're talking about mental health. And it's not something that we've noticed is as openly discussed in some of our communities. So to see the response that we've been getting and to hear the response that you've gotten for your book as well, it's always very encouraging. And it feels really supportive that, you know what, I think that the work that we're putting into our project is being appreciated and it is actually helping different people at some level which is always great to hear and I thought it would only be the second generation and younger that would take an interest in the book because that's who tells their stories in the book so they can relate the best but now I'm starting to think that it has the potential to also promote intergenerational healing I think that's a great point, Mernal, because it's so true that if we're able to reach as many people, as many age groups as possible, then we can start to heal as a community and it can be more of a shared collaborative effort. And so that way we are able to be in this journey together. And even if you're able to expand one person's perspective on mental health, I think of that as a win. And that's kind of the perspective that we've gone into this podcast with as well. And for sure, like Prabhnur said, sometimes there's hesitancy about like who to share it with and who to let know about it but I've noticed at least that people tend to surprise you even in my own family like I've had people reach out and share their own mental health journeys who I would have never expected to have that conversation with so absolutely it gives you some hope and some optimism to keep writing and to keep talking. I'm wondering on the flip side Mernal have there been any obstacles in actually trying to reach people or getting certain demographics engaged? I would say that since I'm self-published, I've had to do absolutely everything alone from the writing down to the marketing of it. So I think that maybe it would have been easier to reach more people, more readers, had I hired a marketer or PR specialist to do it. I have to do a lot of searching in terms of, you know, South Asian mental health professionals, healthcare providers, public figures in the field and reaching out to them and asking them to tell me their thoughts on the book. And then also my secondary target audience is non-South Asian mental health care providers hoping that maybe once they read it, it'll help them become more culturally competent too. So I would think that that's also a somewhat more difficult demographic to reach just because these stories are so niche. 
Yeah, but I love that is another demographic that you're hoping to reach because it's so important to have culturally competent clinicians and practitioners as a whole because oftentimes we've seen that one therapist can work with such a diverse population and noticing people come from all different walks of life. So having some experience and really insight into people's stories can be so insightful and helpful in supporting different clientele that you might see. So I think that's amazing that if you can reach out to those individuals, how supportive that book would be for them as well. Sounds like a great educational tool as much as it is a personal reflective tool as well for people. So I I love that it can take both sides of it because we can even use it like Prabhu and I to even educate our own practice, our own therapy to be more culturally competent. Even though we have that shared background of being South Asian, I think there's so much variability there's so many individual experiences that we wouldn't necessarily know about or have grown up with and then to think about even non-south asian mental health providers and how beneficial this could be just to give some insight into the culture the family the dynamics in general yeah and i think that one plus side to the fact that my writing style is so low fluff is that one of my goals in the book was to make some people consider when reading stories, could somebody have some of the conditions that are detailed? So I would try to provide a lot of data and information too on statistics regarding South Asian mental health, as well as define disorders that come up based on sources such as WebMD and, and NAMI. So people can learn about like the signs and symptoms of it too. That's awesome. And I know you've talked a little bit about book number two, but we're curious to know what are some of your future plans? What might book number two look like? And what are some things that you're hoping to do in the near future as well? So for now, I'm focused entirely on marketing this book since it is less than a year old. Mm -hmm. And you know, reaching and doing as much like outreach as well as public speaking events around it. So for example, there's a nonprofit organization that helps domestic violence survivors based in Texas here in the U.S. It's called Daya. And I am hosting a writing workshop with them where I will teach their community how to self-publish their own book as well as providing writing prompts and allowing them to share with one another if desired, for example. And then podcasts such as this that are tailored to South Asian mental health. I've done several before you and I have more coming up in the future. And I'm also focused on getting South Asian professionals as in doctors, psychiatrists, to be able to give honest critique of the book too, so that I can improve for book number two, which more than likely will be about the male experience. Sounds like that you have quite a bit lined up. I didn't realize, honestly, how much goes into self-publishing and doing the marketing and all of that. And, you know, your message is so strong. And I see like the motivation to want to get it out there and want as many people to, to read it as possible. And yeah, I think it's amazing what you're doing with different organizations and coming on podcasts and just having open conversations about your book, but even your own mental health journey, right? I think it's so valuable for anyone to hear about. So good luck with all of these projects that you have going on on and I'm excited to read book number two I think it's such a unique perspective to have maybe just the male subset of the population represented especially South Asian males if that's the route you're going to take yeah I'm looking forward to it thank you and Mernal, just through your whole experience of writing and talking to people and, you know, even your own mental health journey, we're wondering if there are any resources that you would like to suggest with the listeners through your work and anything that you've found has been helpful or something that you'd encourage individuals to explore for themselves. 
So in my book, there is at the very end, there's a whole resources section that has to do with South Asian organizations that have a mental health theme to them, as well as their contact information. Some of them are nonprofits that have to do with mental health and psychiatry, healthcare, domestic violence, LGBTQ, that kind of stuff. I don't think I can name them all, but I will say that there's quite an emphasis in a lot of my stories about people wishing they had a South Asian therapy provider. Mm -hmm. So with that said, I will say that there's two major directories that I can think of where people can look, which I listed in my book. South Asian Therapist Network, I think is the name of the first one. And then the next one is Brown Girl Therapy. That's awesome. Yeah. And for others who are listening to really check out Renal's book and check out that resources page where there are a whole bunch of different areas that you can explore and places that you can visit to learn more about mental health or just explore any questions that you might have surrounding South Asian communities as well. Oh, and I will say that if anyone in Canada is listening, Soch is one that I listed in there. It's based in Toronto and it's spelled S-O-C-H and it's founded by two psychiatric nurses. And yes, a lot of their like events and talks are directed to the Punjabi community. However, there's also many that are directed to the South Asian community as well. They do a lot of things like support groups, lectures, seminars, that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Mernal. Prabhnur and I have actually been looking into Soch quite a bit as well as a great resource for people to reach out to. And for any McMaster listeners, McMaster also has a Soch McMaster team. And so that's a great place to go specifically for undergraduates or graduate students looking for different workshops and the things that Mernal was talking about, different talks and support groups, things like that. And I actually participated in one. They're the ones who got me that interviewee from Canada that I described in my book. So me and her actually with Soch did a workshop where me and her detailed our experiences. And the angle we put on it is the difference between a Punjabi Canadian Sikh experience versus a Marathi American Hindu experience. And we talked about how different our demographics and our, our fates are and how that played a role in our mental health journeys and what we were taught about mental health. And then over time, it got other people to open up and share their own experiences who were in the group as well. That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's so important to get those conversations going and really get to hear people's experiences because it encourages everyone to really reflect on their own journey and also reflect on what they might be going through. Just knowing that they're not alone in all of this, but I think that's amazing hearing people's stories to get you thinking about your own. With that, Mernal, we do want to say thank you so much for taking out time to join us this evening to talk more about yourself and also Saya Unveiled. And for those who are listening, I just want to ask, uh, where can they learn more about your book, but also um, access it itself? It's sold on Amazon and I offer autographed copies for a dollar less to my U.S. customers. Great. Yeah, that's amazing. I think we'll all be purchasing some on Amazon for sure and just getting a sense of what this book is about. I think there's so much value to it. So thank you so much, Manal, for coming on and talking to us and sharing your journey as well as some information about your book. We really appreciate it and good luck with all of your future projects. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Just as we end, we wanted to remind you that this information is meant to be purely educational. We are not health professionals, just graduate students navigating these topics with you. Any podcast content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
So we recommend that you always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding your mental health and well-being. We also wanted to share some resources with you. This includes Good to Talk, which is a confidential mental health support for post-secondary students in Ontario and Nova Scotia, Kids Help Phone, which is a free counseling and a free crisis text line service that is offered 24-7 and is targeted towards youth, but it has a great deal of mental health resources on their website as well. Connects Ontario, which is an information and referral service focusing on mental health, addiction, and any gambling service problems. They can also be reached over the phone and chat or email. There is also Wellness Together Canada, a free mental health and substance use portal for anyone in Canada, and they help you get connected with appropriate resources. We also did want to share some South Asian specific resources, and this includes South Asian Canadians Health and Social Services. This is an organization that offers mental health programs for the community. The South Asian Women's Center, which is run by and for South Asian women with the mission to promote well-being and access to programs and services. Soch Mental Health, that's S-O-C-H, mental health, which encourages conversations about mental health in the South Asian community, and it also offers various workshops and different resources. Lastly, there's also Ladlia, which is a nonprofit organization that aims to empower South Asian girls and women. They focus on education, engagement, and awareness. These are just a few resources that we know of, but we always encourage our listeners to check out their own local resources and reach out to them if they need any help. As always, you can connect with us through our email, which is so tell me more podcast at gmail.com and our Instagram page at so tell me more podcast. Check us out for future updates, and it's a great way to share what you're interested in hearing on our podcast, any feedback that you might have, or just any ideas in general for where you'd like us to take our podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something new or simply enjoyed our conversation with Mernal and her book, Saya Unveiled. We're excited to continue exploring new topics in future episodes, but for now, stay safe and take care.